Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. From Barangaroo Studios, the AusBiz COV is the key stuff you need to know about the day in business and finance. The COB is brought to you by Capstream, the global absolute return fixed income specialist. It is the 3rd of June. Welcome to the COB. How are you doing, Scotty? I'm doing very well, Nadine. How are you today? I'm pretty well. It was a busy day. It was. It? Confirmation Australia, well, basically Confirmation Australia is going to fall into its first um, recession in 30 years. But uh, it was a day that the market closed at three-month highs. So there we go. That's uh, 2020 in a nutshell. Yeah, we'll be happy to see the back of 2020 in many ways. Uh, the banks had a stellar performance today. ANZ up by 5%, Westpac up by close to 5%, NAB up by 4%. I guess this just speaks to one of the themes we were discussing with Malcolm Wood, who joined us from ELNC Value, who was saying, look, you know, if you're looking for value in this market, and you're thinking about an economic recovery, which he sees as being V-shaped, you know, the banks aren't a bad place to be. Well, we've said it many, many times on this program. Uh, it's a play on the, uh, the economy. If the economy fares well, the banks will generally fare well. Uh, look, all things being equal, we've done very well. We've, we've exceeded, I think, almost everyone's expectations when it comes to the health side of things. The key now is, will the economy respond accordingly? Uh, I still look around Sydney in the morning when I'm coming to work and I'm leaving going home and it's still pretty empty, which makes me wonder about this reopening hopes, whether it's actually going to play out in reality. Well, a lot of that, according to Stephen Kukoulis, who we spoke with from Market Economics, will come down to the transition that the government makes between the job keeper, job seeker, as really being crucial to the pace and the shape of the economic recovery. If you'd like to listen to that interview, you can access it via the show notes. Um, the A dollar, we've got to talk about that. Uh, we spoke with Kim Mundy, a little bit earlier on today from CBA. You can again access that via the show notes. She sees the Australian dollar going to 71 cents by year's end. Given the price action of the past week or so, I mean, it's hard not to sort of see that happening. Might be 71 cents by the end of this tonight. Who knows, it's, uh, it's moving that quickly. Uh, and where does it stop? No, we're now looking at uh, trade weighted index gains. I think in excess of 22% now from the lows. Uh, against the greenback, it's like 25%. So whilst there's nothing wrong, it's in relative terms, it's still only back at the levels that we saw late last year. It may soon become problematic if it keeps going higher. We talked about, you know, as we have this reopening of the economy and tourism and education and the like, it will start creating problems for those sectors at a time when they're already on their knees. We spoke with Annette Beecher today as well, Scuddy, and she was saying, look, of course the RBA has negative rates in its toolbox. It's got a lot still in its toolbox, but that it was very unlikely to use negative rates. And she was saying, why should it? It's really going to do uh, basically nothing, even if negative rates were brought in. Do you see it like that? Look, I agree with Annette 100%. I would not like to see negative interest rates. I just think the RBA is relative size in the scheme of things. Yes, it's a very well-respected central bank. But when you're competing against the likes of the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, uh, the Bank of Japan, uh, PBOC in China, 
the RBA trying to go down to the path of negative interest rates is going to be like akin to bringing a knife to a gunfight. We are not going to go and win in the battle of trying to devalue our currency by implementing negative rates. It'll be done at a brushstroke. Uh, a speech from Jerome Powell from the Federal Reserve would be able to go and undo that move in an instant. So to me, there's other ways you can go and look to go and benefit the economy, which doesn't require doing anything extremely experimental. One thing, I look at the, uh, the 10-year bond rate in Australia today, it's now nudging back up towards 1%. Lofty level, I know, in, in the greater scheme of things. But if the RBA wants to go and try and eliminate at least the yield advantage we have over other advanced economies, they could easily start buying bonds out that end of the curve remove that advantage that we have, and that can go and at least try and take a bit of heat out of the Aussie dollar. But look, be honest, what we're gonna see is Aussie's gonna go and respond to what's going on with risk sentiment. Obviously at the moment, that is all bullish. And you can listen to that interview about the Aussie with Kim Mundy from CBA um, on our website app, or you can just access it via the show notes here. We have to, I mean, we've talked about the equity market. I mean, it looks like we've got the Chi-X 200 finishing up by 1.7%. The XJO was up by 1.8%. And you cannot look past that buy now, pay later space. Incredible market moves coming through. We spoke with Jeremy Hook from TMS Capital just to wrap up the session. And he was saying, look, he just doesn't think that the risks uh, you know, are, are being factored into some of these share price moves. I mean, we saw open pay going gangbusters up by close to 50% once again today. Absolutely. And I know a lot of these buy now, pay later providers talk about the virtues of credit checks and the like, but I think we've got to be honest. A lot of the, the clientele are going to be younger people who won't have assets, are probably more vulnerable to what's going on in the economy. Uh, we've got a lot of employees around the world, employees, should I say, around the world, who are currently receiving government subsidies to go and support them through this crisis. Now, they're not going to last forever. They're going to go and be stopped within months. I think that it'll be really interesting to see what happens with bad debts, say, come September, October, November this year. And well, speaking of that, all of these companies are trying to push into the states. Uh, the OpenPay CEO said, look, it's not on the roadmap right now, but why wouldn't they want to take on the world's you know, largest economy with uh, the consumers that it has? 350 million people. Uh, 350 million, but we do have those jobless claims out tonight. And again, that forms part of the conversation there as well. But as I mentioned, Open. Pay was up by 50%. Zip pay, I mean, the 20% spike today pales in comparison, but that's adding on to you know yesterday's gains as well. And we did speak with the CEO of Zipco, and uh, you can listen to that via the show notes as well. Speaking of stock specifics, let's get to the stock of the day. It is Boral. We had seven, seven groups snapping up a 10% stake in the company, and uh, they discussed it on the call today. Let's listen in to what Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial had to say. It's a contrarian play, obviously, as you touched upon there, six downgrades in a row. And ever since Borrell acquired that very large acquisition in the US in 2016, this share has been on the nose um, yep. and they've definitely struggled. So for Seven Group, they obviously own a big chunk or they own West Track, which is the um, Caterpillar mm-hmm. business, which supplies a lot of the different things to the mining companies. Borrell, in some sense, isn't too far removed from some of those businesses. So... They can probably lend a board seat with Ryan Stokes, I think, going to sit on the board of Borrell with this acquisition. Um, they can also lend their expertise and potentially over time break up this company and extract some value there. So, look, I don't think it's the worst decision in the world. If I was looking to buy Borrell today as, as myself, as an individual, I probably wouldn't do it. But with the expertise and knowledge of 
seven holdings, I think it does make sense from them from a strategic perspective. Yeah, I'm no great fan. Um, and I think I think um, Michael's really hit the nail on the head there. In terms of, you know, this acquisition was a disaster. But, you know, statistically, that tends to be the case, Koshi. When, when you look at most acquisitions, and the academics have studied this very closely, you see about one third of them create value for shareholders, uh, one third very roughly do nothing, and then one third lose value. So the odds are against you. First first of all, Boral's in a, in a tough industry. We could talk about that all day long, but I think that's that's kind of evidenced in, in when you look at the sector as a whole, but but potentially too, not, not the best management as well. So the hope here is you put someone who's a bit smarter in charge, extract a bit more value, break that pizza up into various slices and, and somehow create something that's, that's greater than the sum of its parts. And that was Andrew Page from strawman.com weighing in on Boral, which was the stock of the day today. And it did close up mildly in positive territory, up by about 1%. Uh, let's move on though. We mentioned um, you know, the fact that we'll be getting that jobless read out in the US tonight, Scuddy, but we've also got the services PMI, and this one is, is a pretty important one. Yes, that's uh, look, I love the PMI, so I won't uh, be bashful about it. I think they're one of the most useful indi economic indicators out there. So we're gonna go and get an insight as to what's going on in the US service sector over the month of May. The biggest part of the economy by some margin, much like here in Australia. Unfortunately, it won't get the impact of the riots that we've seen and the social unrest over the last week or so, but it will give us some insight as to how the US economy is recovering from this, uh, from this shutdown period. Uh, looking around the rest of the world and given the timing we've seen elsewhere, it should be a small improvement, but unlikely to be anything spectacular. Here at home, we get uh, the international trade data for April at 11.30. Not likely to be market moving? Absolutely not, because we got an interim uh, report. The only thing of, of note in that particular uh, release from the ABS is the services side of things. So we know that the international border is shut, but it'll give us some insight as to what's happening with the education and tourism side of the, uh, the, the trade ledger. Uh, are we going to see another massive hit? The answer is yes. Yes. All right. Um, on to our guests. And tomorrow, I hope you can join us. We'll be speaking with Pijam live from New York at 8.45 a.m. We'll also check in with Tim Tui from Yara Capital at about 10.50, uh, I'd say that'll happen. Now, if you're looking for a CEO interview to tune in, we will be bringing you not one, but two. Uh, I guess the incoming and the outgoing CEO of Austell will be joining us a little bit later in the piece tomorrow, not coming through until about uh, 2 to 30 p.m. That is it for the COB today. Thanks again to Capstream. You can get more information on Capstream in your episode notes, or you can visit capstream.com. Scuddy, shall we do it all again tomorrow? Always a pleasure. I'm looking forward to it already. Good night.